Welcome to the IPONS podcast, the collective voice representing residential property owners in Nova Scotia. I'm your host, Amanda Knight, and together we will discuss some of the challenges facing the residential housing industry, offer some insights, and more importantly, some practical solutions. First, we welcome Bob Musset. Bob was one of the founding brokers of CBRE Atlantic in 2002. He is an executive vice president and leads the national investment team and the national apartment group for Atlantic Canada. With over 30 plus years of experience and transactional accomplishments, Bob provides unique insight into the Atlantic Canadian real estate market trends. Bob shares his thoughts openly about housing and supply challenges. Recently, an opinion piece Bob posted called The Rising Cost of Housing in Canada, It's All About Supply, made me want to stand up and cheer as I read it. Can't wait to take a deeper dive into such topics today. Alongside Bob, we have Chrissy Fry. Chrissy is the Vice President, Debt and Structured Finance and the National CMHC Program Lead with CBRE Capital Canada, Inc. Chrissy specializes in advising clients on structuring CMHC insured finance solutions such as construction, takeout and refinance. She does this by leveraging her in-depth knowledge of the CMHC affordable and market programs acquired through various senior management positions she held with CMHC from 2006 to 2018. Since joining CBRE, Chrissy has led the project team to establish CBRE as a CMHC approved lender, and she has arranged financing on several of the largest CMHC deals in Canada, including applications for MLI Select Construction, RCFI, and Portfolio Refinance. It is a pleasure to be able to speak with both of you today. So you guys made it here no problem today. How was your weekend, Chrissy? It was great. Beautiful weather to finalize the summer. <laughs> and you, Bob? Great weekend out on the water uh, very this nice. weekend. Yeah, it was very nice. Good, good. Okay, so Bob, we clearly have a housing shortage across the country and here in Nova Scotia, and there's been a lot of discussion about affordability. What are your thoughts on addressing affordability? Thank you. Um, look, I think the rising uh, cost of housing is all about supply. I think the term affordability crisis can be a little bit uh, misleading or it understates the broader issue. Uh, we've got a significant supply shortfall across all segments of the house housing sector. And certainly uh, part of that is affordability. There's no question. But I think just limiting the discussion to that of affordability really doesn't recognize the magnitude of what we're facing here. It really is across every aspect of housing. Absolutely. And I think we've had this come up before as well, where affordability and affordable housing can mean different things to different people. CMHC has their definition of affordable housing being 30% of gross annual income. Um, how do you feel that, that that plays into the discussion? Yeah, it's a term that's overused, I think, and, and oversimplified because as you say, I mean, I'm, one person's affordability is another person's unattainable, right? Yes. And and it really comes down to means test or income sort of analysis for every family or individual that needs um, some kind of subsidy or, or assistance in housing. And that segment makes up 15% plus or minus of, of all of our population in Nova Scotia. So it's, it's quite a few people are in some kind of housing crisis or need assistance on an ongoing basis. It's not, you know, a check from the feds on next Tuesday is going to solve their problem. It's this is an ongoing support requirement for that segment of the population. For everyone else, 
it's just the a question of supply that's really driven costs and and uh, rents and or purchases uh, the cost of everything's gone up absolutely you mentioned that there's an order of magnitude here so how many units do you feel that we're talking about maybe we should start with a little perspective i think it's important to have some perspective around the scale of this issue uh, cmhc estimates and they use the term equilibrium to sustain affordable housing. And they say to get there, we're going to need 50,000 additional units in Nova Scotia in the next seven years. Now, if we talk about Halifax, we're half the population of the province. I would think that a little more than than half the housing issue is located here just by virtue of the size of the city. We've got 55,000 suites in this city and half of those, 49% of those were built in the last 20 years. If CMHC is right about 50,000 and we need uh, 27,000 housing units in Halifax, we're going to have to triple our production. So what we did in 20 years, we need to do in seven. That's a massive undertaking and it's, and it's a lot of money. You know, if you think about the scale of that, just for the Halifax portion, the 27,000 suites would be something like eight to $12 billion. Mm-hmm. So big problem, big numbers. And, you know, it's not just about the money. It's also about just the capacity to build. Absolutely. And I think when you when we start looking at some of those really big numbers, um, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, one of the uh, numbers that you had had thrown out there, that 50,000 units, that is assuming that building costs run roughly three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars per unit, which isn't a huge amount of money in this day and age. Um, As far as building costs go, I suspect those costs have probably gone up a little bit as well or continue to those construction costs yeah we saw a big balloon on construction costs through the pandemic you know like never before in my career i've the magnitude of those increases some of those were connected to supply chain and and we're seeing a bit of pullback now on on some supplies but there's there's certain things that are it's never going to come back to where it was Mm -hmm. and on top of the hard costs you've got this significantly escalated labor cost that probably isn't pulling back either. So we're in a, this is our new reality. Things are things are at this this level of cost, I think to stay. Uh, so, you know, one of the, one of the discussions the broader we have to have about housing is how can we build something cheaper or maybe a little less? Do we we pull back on size? Do we cut back on amenities? Do we change some products to be more cost effective? Mm-hmm. There's so many different issues to address in this the bigger subject that Absolutely. Lots to talk about. Chrissy, you believe that improving affordability goes beyond just adding supply. You want to take a deeper look at all of the costs to build and operate multi-residential properties, correct? That's correct. Well, first of all, let me say thank you for having me here today. But I do agree with Bob that our housing crisis is really made up of two main components, one being availability and two being affordability. And regardless of what definition you're using for affordability, the cost to build new multi-res today is very expensive. So over the last couple of years, we've seen every single line item in a construction budget, whether that's labor, materials, interest costs, land, HST, permitting fees, and even CMHC premiums increase. Um, And then when we take a look at the operating expenses, every single line item on that operating budget has also increased. So that would be your property tax, utilities, insurance, property management, repairs and maintenance and administration. Nothing's really been left out of the equation when it comes to increasing cost. So all while revenues are being constrained by rent controls, but we'll leave that topic for another day. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So if we just park rent control issue for today's discussion and focus just on the cost to deliver housing, the average cost to build one apartment unit on the peninsula of Halifax right now ranges between 400000 and 600000 per unit. 
So with all of the costs that I just mentioned, the break-even rent in this cost range is over $2,000 a month. And it's hard to believe, but it's actually closer to $2,200 or $2,400 per month just to cover your mortgage and operating expenses. So I kind of look at it in our role we're always kind of what we call um, doing reverse engineering of the math. And mm-hmm. we're always kind of trying to work our way backwards. What is the break-even rent? What what costs need to um, be factored in? And basically, what is the expected revenue that we would need in order to, to hit that break-even rent? So, you know, when we talk about the solutions to the cost to add to this housing supply right now, I think now is not the time for anyone or any level of government to be adding cost. Every single dollar of increased cost gets passed on to the tenant. And I don't know that that message is really resonating in the public, but that is the reality. Every single cost and cost increase gets passed on to the tenant. So I think, you know, when we read and we, we see some of the critics of um, housing today in the in the news, we kind of there's an assumption that every dollar of that advertised rent goes back to the developer. But in reality, we're seeing about 70 percent of the rent being allocated to the mortgage payment and about 30 percent being allocated to operating cost. So it's, uh, you know, significantly expensive to to um, both build and operate multi-res today. Absolutely. And then along those lines as well, if you've got 2200 or 2400 just covering your costs, that also does not leave you any money to set aside for, oh, this just happened, something bursts, something needs to be replaced, repaired, things like that, just the regular maintenance and upkeep, I guess, of the units as well. Is that Fair. Well, to be fair, and I want to make sure that I'm appropriately illustrating the numbers, that $2,400 would include some repairs and maintenance and some allocation for replacement of like appliances and such. So the $2,400 would alloc- would incorporate some of those additional costs. That's great. And you mentioned, well, you mentioned one of the solutions, no more taxes or no more fees from the government. Is there anything else that you can think of that would? Well, if we really kind of think about where, where does rent go? So, you know, we talked about 70% being allocated to the mortgage payment, but when we really look at the operating expenses as well, about half of operating expenses today are allocated to municipal property taxes. Mm -hmm. And I know if we look across the country, there are examples of other municipalities that are offering property tax incentives to to support affordable housing. So that is a potential solution that we could look at in Halifax as well. Um, you know, HST, there's been a change in the methodology for how HST is being allocated to multi-residential properties, which has been um, a significant impact on the overall cost of construction. And when we do our modeling, it's working out to be about $250 to $300 in monthly rent is actually repaying the HST. So it's a significant cost and it's also additionally punitive in Atlantic Canada where we do have HST. It's not just GST and there are not other provincial tax credits that may be available in other provinces across the country. But Bob, I know you've spoken quite a bit at length about the HST issue. So maybe this is a good opportunity to let you jump in on on that topic. Thanks, Chrissy. Yeah, I, th- I think the way you've looked at this Breaking it down on how much of the rent per month is is associated with taxes and fees is really interesting. I've typically looked at it just from a construction standpoint, looking at you know taxes and fees, and it's not just the case here in Halifax; it's the case across the land. You know, twenty five to thirty percent of any new build is is taxes and fees. The biggest uh, component of that is HST. Uh, what's interesting about the HST and the way it's calculated is it's not just you know if I go out and buy a barbecue, I'm going to pay fifteen percent of Canadian Tire for uh, 
HST on my barbecue. The way you get taxed for, for HST on multifamily is government doesn't look at just the cost inputs. It wants you to calculate on uh, substantial completion what that building would be worth if you sold it today. So not only do they want the tax on the tax on the cost inputs, they want it, they want to tax you on the potential profit that you haven't made yet. So it really pushes that number up. Is it 10%? Is it 20%? Is it something in that range? Above and beyond what what would typically what you would typically think of as an HST bill. So it's pushed us into, I think, a very unfair scenario for the industry to look at paying a tax today on profit I may or may not make in the future. So it's it's quite draconian to me. I heard an interesting comment, and we've talked about this as we were planning for today, but and it was not my line, but it was a great, great line that's worth repeating. Uh, that came out of the Charlottetown discussions that the Liberal government just had on their retreat. But uh, one of their experts said, you know, uh, multifamily or housing in Canada is taxed like uh, cigarettes and alcohol. And uh, that seems kind of crazy to me. Absolutely. I think that, yes, that comment has been made at numerous, numerous locations for sure. Well, when we talk about the percentage of rent and where rent allo- where the rent is allocated in terms of the expenses and the cost to deliver housing, we calculate anywhere from 30 to 35% of the rent that a tenant pays is actually repaying various government taxes, permit fees, and, and charges. So if we dial that back and say, I'm paying $2,000 a month for my unit in Halifax, 30% of that, $600, is going towards taxes, fees, etc. So I could in theory be paying closer to $1,400 a month. Without the government taxes, yes. Without the government and taxes. Charges. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's some interesting discussion. Uh, Benjamin Tall has raised this uh, a few times, and, and uh, I'm sure he will again. And I'm sure he gave some of this advice to uh, to the cabinet when they were in their retreat. But, you know, his opinion is if you really want to kickstart housing development in this country, put some kind of a holiday or deferral or something with the taxes. And if you look at that on a, on a cost, as Chrissy's numbers per suite for construction, you know, is it 60, 70, $80,000 of every suite's cost is related to those taxes. So, and it's, and, and, you know, when we look at the numbers, we, we calculate, we've been undersupplying the rental stock in Halifax by about 1500 suites a year. So we've seen steady decrease in the vacancy rate over the last five or six years for sure, where we were undersupplying the market, more people coming, demand going up. So simple economics, supply and demand. Last year, we calculate because of the balloon and immigration and in-migration and other Canadians moving here from other provinces, and new family creation and all those things that create demand, we think that shortfall was more like 6,000 suites last year. So, and we're in a in this cost situation we're in today, we're seeing production of housing decrease at exactly the time when we needed to increase. Mm-hmm. So Sean Fraser had a great podcast that, that flipped to me last week. And so I listened to it and, and it was tremendous. And uh, so kudos to him. Uh, it was very refreshing to hear the Minister of Housing for Canada have such a realistic insights into what the issues are. And not only that, but some great creative ideas on solutions. So that is very heartening to me that that we've got a minister of housing that has that uh, understanding. Perhaps as important or more important, his former role was that of minister of immigration. And I don't think we can do all the finance, we can pull all the financial levers we want to try and create new housing. 
Mm-hmm. Unless we have the trades and the labor to build it, it's not going to happen. So this is a this is such a complex issue. So many different things come into play here. But certainly one of them is going to be how do we incentivize those trades and skilled labor from other countries to move here by the tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. And that's through immigration. So we've got a minister of housing now that really understands the immigration system. And I think he can work closely with his colleagues. So that's, I think, for all of this discussion we're having, uh, that's very good news. Yeah, I would agree, Bob. I felt like the interview with Sean Frazier that I listened to in the weekend as well, he seems very dialed in on the issues. And it was very refreshing to hear solutions being proposed. And so I'm very much looking forward to seeing some of the the new programs and, and potential borrowing programs that are going to be aligned with, uh, with the multi-res market. The Call to Action Advocacy Fund's sole purpose is to support IPON's advocacy programs and research. Ongoing support is necessary to enable IPONs to counter the ongoing misinformation campaigns. IPON's efforts provide government officials with empirical data to aid in their decision-making process. We need to engage in more lobbying, advocacy, and public relations, and we need your support. For more information and to make a contribution, please visit our website at ipons.ca and search Call to Action Advocacy Fund. Absolutely. Just to play devil's advocate a little bit here, when you mention if we reduced taxes and fees off of development to spur more development, one of the standpoints that I'm sure the activists will take, because housing providers have been vilified in the media, is that you're just going to pocket that extra money. What is your what are your thoughts with regards to that? If you were saving 15% on HST, that just goes into the profit for you? Or give me your take on that. I'm not a big fan of, of trying to micromanage any part of the economy. I think the, the, it, there's always a trickle-down effect from any government intervention, and we and that is, uh, that's a road to hell, right? <laughs> so um, I, I hear that comment, and I understand why, why people would think that. The fact of the matter is, right now, there's a lot of developers who are just saying, it's so expensive to build right now, and I I'm not going to make any money. I'm going to put all of this capital at risk and I make no return. I'm going to be pens down for now. I'm not going to do anything. And we've seen that pullback of 10 to 15% in the housing production this year. You know, I don't think you can overmanage it. I think if we have lots of supply, rents are going to slow down. They're not going to rise. They're going to, the market demands that again, that supply and demand factor is going to come into play. That doesn't address what we talked about earlier, those people in housing crisis that really need some kind of subsidy or some kind of assistance ongoing. That's, you know, that's a separate discussion. But for the broader housing stock, we just need more product. And I'm not suggesting that we eliminate 100% of any any tax. We have to pay taxes to keep the government working. But in this case, it's a something has to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the price of steel isn't going to change. The, <laughs> the price of, you know, tiles or concrete's not going to change. One of the only areas that I can see that really can be dealt with in a very rapid way is through taxes. And maybe we defer some of those. Maybe we we include some conditions, but I'd be very careful on putting too many conditions around an elimination or a holiday related to HST because it just won't work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's key what you said is it's something that we can implement rapidly, quickly, because we need housing created now. I don't think it's alarmist or overstating the fact, you know, this is a massive problem. It has the potential to really have seriously negative social and economic impacts on the entire country. No matter what business you're in, no matter what you do, if we can't have people come to the country and find a place to live, 
that's going to be a problem. What you know, will we start killing the goose that laid the golden egg of immigration? Uh, that would be disastrous. We've got to be able to house people, the citizens that live here now, in in an affordable way for people that that need some help. So it's a vital issue that we, and I'm happy to hear the amount of discussion that's going on now around the topic. I would say. If I could, if I could ramble on a little more, you know, one of the one of the negative aspects of this discussion uh, for the last few years has been the vilification of the industry, developers and owners of multifamily and housing stock. And I think that a it's just wrong. Um, comes for it's it's unhelpful. If we are going to solve this, I don't know a developer anywhere here in Nova Scotia or anywhere in the country that isn't keenly interested in helping to solve this problem and both affordability and just stock and building more product. Uh, you know, so you hear stories and it gets uh, sensationalized in the media. Those, those situations are the minority. They're not the norm. And uh, so I think, I hope as we move forward on this discussion, coming up with real solutions that we will have a much more collaborative approach that we will not be vilifying certain certain parties in the discussion because that doesn't do anything to help mm-hmm. uh, as a matter of fact i think it hurts it so uh, that would be one of my big wishes is that we just raise the whole tone of the conversation and that we get on with this task which is monumental Absolutely. And it's, as so many of us have said before, this isn't something that happened overnight. It didn't happen because of COVID. This has gone on for decades. Every party is guilty of not doing enough. It is the collaboration. Take the parties who know what they know. I deal with small rental housing. What you do on your end, that's out of my wheelhouse. I'll leave that to you. That's You're the specialist with regards to that. Taking everybody's viewpoint and different perspective, sure, but speak to the experts in how they can get things done the quickest, the most efficient efficiently and maintain and continue to provide that product housing to the community. Because I agree with you, we all we all are impacted by housing, whether it's you personally, your kids go off to school, your parents downsize or retire, we are all impacted by it. And there's no one, one single solution, no one size fits all. This We need the YMCA, we need the mm-hmm. housing trusts, we need the all of the different parties to have a voice and speak about how they can contribute because there is no one, there's no silver bullet here. Yep. It's extremely complex. We need, you know, another thing that came out of Sean Fraser's podcast that uh, I'm not sure it was the moderator or uh, Minister Fraser, but uh, the term, you know, this sort of wartime response. And I thought, boy, that's really putting it in the right kind of perspective for mm-hmm. me. This is a crisis that we have to get our hands around and every it's all hands on deck, if you will. Yep. We all have to lean in. Everybody has to figure out how to, how to triple our housing production to start to solve this problem. It's going to take years and years to do, but Mm -hmm. so let's get on with the job. Absolutely. So all levels of government seem to be getting dialed in to the housing crisis that we find ourselves in, not just in Nova Scotia, but right across the country. So what are some government programs that you feel have really helped to facilitate the housing construction? And Chrissy, I'll defer to you on this one first. Sure. Well, I don't think we could have a conversation today about the housing crisis and some of the solutions without talking about the success of the CME. MHC MLI Select program. So everyone across the industry, across the country is talking about this program and is using it. And really, I think, Bob, you mentioned it in the in the CBRE breakfast last November, but without it, the industry probably would have come to a halt um, and, or at least a significant reduction over the last couple of years. So the MLI Select program 
is targeting social outcomes of affordability, energy efficiency, and accessibility, and allows higher loan proceeds on an application, assuming that the debt cover ratio can be maintained at a, at a 110 over a 50-year term. So the MLI Select program has been hugely successful. Um, I know CMHC has unprecedented volumes right now in terms of managing their queue. Everyone's kind of talking about it. So the sooner and the faster they can kind of get through that queue, the more we can uh, speed up really the new construction that that is um, in the queue right now. CMHC also has other programs that target different levels of affordability or different levels of cooperation with governments, like the Rental Construction Financing Initiative, um, which I believe Sean Fraser also mentioned in his podcast. We have uh, successful projects here in, in Halifax that have been built under the Rental Construction Financing Initiative. It's a great program. The Co-Investment Fund is another program that's offered by CMHC and really incentivizes partnerships between developers and another level of government, like a, a province or a municipality. And there's also the Rapid Housing Initiative. And I think we're all familiar with the projects that were approved in Halifax uh, through the Rapid Housing Initiative. So I think, um, you know, we're definitely on the right track from, from CMHC's perspective. And again, some of the new programs or new borrowing incentives that could potentially come out of the uh, the new minister taking over. I think, you know, so I really do want to focus and congratulate, um, you know, CMHC on, on developing a program that has been very widely used and quite um, successful. You know, when we talk about government programs, I would proceed with caution on a few ones that are actually being considered right now that will just increase the cost of housing. And so, you know, we have inclusionary zoning in front of HRM right now. We have potentially like an empty lot tax. There could potentially be increases to the GIC structure. And, you know, all of those costs will get passed on to the tenant. When you talk about inclusionary zoning, there's only really three ways to pay for that or three potential solutions. One, the developer decides it's not cost effective and doesn't proceed with building. Two, the other tenants in the building pay or what really are the reduced rent units, or three, there's a government subsidization for those affordable units. And really, I think that's where I really see the solution is in government subsidization. It's a difficult task right now to build a unit, calculate the break-even rent to be in the range of $2,000 to $2,400 a month, and then offer that rent at an affordable level as defined by CMHC at $1,250 a month. So really at $1,250 a month, you're only covering your operating expenses and maybe half of the mortgage payment. So there has there's a short shortfall there that needs to be covered. And so I think that's some of the missing, you know, kind of some of the missing solution in terms of how to make a program like inclusionary zoning work. Now, when you talk about CMHC and the programs that they offer, is CMHC offering the financing? Are they insuring it? What exactly are they offering with these programs? They do both. It depends on the program. So the program that's most widely used across the country right now is the MLI Select program in which CMHC insures the mortgage and the lenders across the country are still lending the money. So CMHC offers their, their mortgage loan insurance over a 50-year amortization period. So the construction plus a 50-year term. And the Rental Construction Finance Initiative, the Co-Investment Fund, those are direct lending programs by CMHC. So those are, CMHC acts as the lender for those particular programs. And with those programs as well, I'm assuming that anyone, whether you're in HRM or smaller rural areas, small landlords or rental housing providers, large, anyone can work with CMHC? All of those programs are available by direct application from the borrower directly to CMHC. There are consultants that work in the industry as well to help borrowers through the process because it is quite detailed and, and kind of a lengthy process. And but yes, you can you can apply directly to CMHC as a borrower. 
through for those programs. And so those you've seen has been um, helping to facilitate the housing construction, assuming we still have the labor and the materials and everything else to get that done. That's right. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, any further improvements or areas that uh, you could recommend? I just echo uh, Chrissy's comments about CMHC. I, I think they've done a terrific job. And I and I was you know quite serious in November when I when I was talking about the great success of the MLI Select program and just how dire uh, the situation would be. I mean, it's it's bad enough, but it, it would be much worse if it wasn't for that program and a few others that CMHC has put forward. And I hope that, and I'm sure that Minister Fraser will be talking to CMHC and, and trying to figure out other other levers and tools to put in place. Uh, they are the natural supplier for that. They've got the infrastructure across the country. Um, people are used to working with them. And, you know, that can really uh, grease the skids. That insurance program uh, reduces risk for the lenders. So that improves an interest rate. And those things will, are helping. The more we can do there, the, the extended amortization period is critical. Uh, just because it's tough to make the numbers work when you're trying to amortize it over a shorter period. So if I can push it out a little bit and be prudent with that, um, then that helps as well. Just to put that in context, a few years ago, almost the the entire industry was built using conventional financing and CMHC was involved on the term takeout side. And when the MLI Flex program was introduced and then was replaced by the MLI Select program, it was about 60, initially about 60% of construction was through insured CMHC programs. And now it's probably 95% of new construction in Canada is being insured by CMHC, not built through the conventional okay. lending. And as a comparison for that, so as a person buying a single family home, if I have 10% down, I fall under the CMHC insured. This would be sort of comparable, but when you get into more of a larger scale, the commercial multi-res, a similar sort of... It's similar, except on the single family side, the insurance is mandated. It's required if you have a certain percentage of down payment. On the commercial side, it is more of a choice and it's more opens up more doors from a lending perspective. I mean, the benefits are the longer amortization with the shorter debt cover ratios and also um, lower interest rates. So it's more of a choice that the that the borrower can make in terms of choosing to have their project insured by CMHC. And the real fundamental difference is the ability to borrow more. And you really want that in this particular market that we're in because we want developers and borrowers to have the equity to continue to build additional housing units. Absolutely. No, and that's key for sure. Where areas that you see further improvement can be made to increase supply? I mean, take CMHC out of the equation or leave them in the equation, but what what else can we do to have more houses and supply built faster? Bob? <laughs> I'm going to put you push you under the bus on that one. <laughs> I might just uh, just back to uh, Chrissy's comments about inclusionary zoning. The requirement for affordable or subsidized, and you know I don't like the word affordable, but uh, those subsidized suites within that, I think I think we should be digging into that more deeply. Mm -hmm. I've I've for a long time, and so and look, there are people that don't agree with me. They think it's gentrifying. My belief is that we should be trying to include our subsidized housing across our broader housing stock, mm -hmm. so that we have a component in in every building that is that is a subsidized suite or suites. And that, you know, it's just, it's a simple means test or the, the, the level of that subsidy is determined by 
the government and rather than uh, rather than going to build a, a building which is a hundred percent affordable or subsidized you're you're distributing uh, people throughout the housing side which I think is a better uh, societal solution as well mm-hmm. um, so I think we should be looking at that and it comes into this you know if you're going to give back to your question about well what what does the developer get when he doesn't pay HST anymore maybe you know, maybe there's some inclusionary units included in that kind of thing. Is it 5% or 10%? The devil's in the details. But um, there's some number of suites that are included there, which solves that crisis portion of the population, that real uh, that real need. Uh but also at the same time creates more market housing. So you sort of check two boxes. And um, I think it can be done a whole lot more efficiency, uh, efficiently with the private sector supplying housing and the government supplying subsidy in whatever way they figure out is ne- necessary mm-hmm. for the individual circumstances because everybody's circumstances are different. And I think that that is another part of the complexity of the housing. You have, you know, five sections. Um, um, that CMHC has broken down as to people in need with regards to housing, which keeps things nice and complex as well and who you're working with and who you're trying to accommodate through some of these these new builds or incorporate into existing. And I think one of the maybe topics that gets left behind is the existing stock and mm-hmm. where is the solution for affordable housing in, in existing stock. So, you know, we've seen a significant increase in the cost to build new. When you're talking about a four or $500,000 per unit build cost right now, it's very difficult to make that work on an affordable rental basis. There are a lot of opportunities in the existing stock in mm-hmm. terms of, um, you know, really trying to address affordability through the units that we already have in the market. Absolutely. And I am sure that the government does have programs with regards to that as well, depending on the complexity of them. I'm sure they're complex because the government created them. <laughs> so this has been a great conversation, guys. I really appreciate your insight with regards to this. What can you um, sort of leave us with today with regards to getting more supply? Bob? Uh, thanks. And thanks for today. It's it's, uh, it's great to have these conversations and, uh, and so critically important. As I've said, I think you know, I would emphasize uh, how critically important it is for us to act collectively and collaboratively. Uh, there hasn't been enough of it. We need more of it. We do see some things going on now, but you know, this problem and and not to over over dramatize it or, or overstate it or be repetitive, but this is the potential of derailing our immigration plan. It has the potential of causing lasting social damage. I think in Canada, we, sh- we should be above where we are now. We should be doing a better job. We, we're not delivering for our citizens what we should be delivering. And, uh, you know, across the board, it's, it's going to be solved with supply, innovation, new ideas. As Christy talks about using the old stock and somehow, you know, reinv- reinvigorating that stock and bringing that to bear. And there's... You know, we need hundreds of ideas, not not a few. And and we'll get that through collaboration and, and really getting everybody into the tent and not to overuse a word, but I just have. Well, I agree wholeheartedly. Like collaboration is certainly the key to maybe not solving the housing crisis, but certainly advancing it, certainly moving it forward. I appreciate and um, would echo Bob's comments in terms of the partnerships that are already happening in the industry between developers and not-for-profits. I think let's find ways to continue to encourage that so that we are allowing 
both of those parties to leverage their own expertise in terms of delivering housing solutions, but also, you know, building building the, the housing units that we need. Um, you know, I think that we should be really taking a close look at not adding any additional cost to building housing today. And as, you know, as we've mentioned earlier, every single cost does get added on to the tenant. Um, you know, I think we can continue to work with the programs that are available out there. There's probably even more programs than we know of, um, but certainly getting um, up to speed in terms of all of the federal, municipal and provincial incentives and programs that are available in, in terms of in terms of adding housing supply. So like Bob said, I don't think it's a, a one size fits all solution. I think it's a collaborative approach here um, that we're going to have to employ all kind of available resources and skills. I do think that labor is a big component to this. And if we can encourage immigration in terms of the, the labor that's required in terms of um, adding the housing supply, that's certainly key. But I think that we have a huge opportunity for education in this country as well, in terms of our own students becoming educated in, in the fields of uh, skilled labor. Excellent. That's great. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPOMS podcast. We hope you found the discussion insightful and engaging. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Interested in learning more? Head to our website, ipons.ca, to sign up for our weekly newsletter, Multi-Res News, and follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn, where we are consistently sharing news that affects rental housing providers in Nova Scotia. Until next time, 